0: Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective.
1: Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. About 135,000 children are adopted in the United States each year. About 59% of those are from the child welfare or foster care system. 26% are from other countries, and about 15% are voluntarily surrendered American babies. The adoption narrative is typically a positive one, conveying selflessness and portraying a happy experience for all members in the adoption process. Adoption agencies tend to promote the adoption decision being driven by altruistic motives with a happy ending with every adoption. And while a number of adoptions do go well there are common though often unrecognized and unaddressed issues within the adoption process and within the developmental stages post-adoption that deserves some attention trauma can in fact be evident in every part of the adoption experience even the parts that seem perfect here today to share with us about being adoption trauma informed as moses pharaoh Moses is an adoption trauma educator and a marriage and family therapist with more than 20 years in the mental health field. As a transracially and transnationally adoptee from Korea, a survivor of child abuse, one who has experienced adoption trauma and suicide loss, Moses bridges his personal and professional experiences to raise awareness of the human rights and public health issues many adopted people have been facing. Moses' passion is now focused on educating people about the mental health issues around adoption. Moses, welcome to the show. It's so nice to have you here.
2: Oh, thank you for having me on the show. I'm looking forward to this conversation.
1: I am as well. You know, Moses, you've developed part of your practice to include being an adoption trauma educator. If you would start us out with a show, contextually giving us some background and the reasons behind the path you've chosen professionally to work as an adoption trauma educator,
2: a great place to start. You know, As you shared, I bring both my personal and professional perspectives to the work that I do here. So it can't be ignored that I was adopted when I was two. And from that experience, it really wasn't uh, something that I thought, oh, I'm going to go into a career about this. But I did come into the mental health field with a degree in psychology and then marriage and family therapy. And then about halfway through my career, I was approached by an adoption agency to provide post-adoption support. And at that point, I was like, well, this is kind of coming full circle for me being adopted and and now getting to work in the adoption field. Just, I don't know, the stars aligned or, or, you know, some, something said this is the direction I should go in professionally. And through that experience, I've developed personally, my own perspective, my own understanding, my own level of education around the adoption issues. And as I've gotten to work with more and more adoptive families and parents and just Understanding the larger context to the issues that they brought into my office, Mm -hmm. that then led me to understand oh, there's more to this that we just need to be aware of, that we need to understand, we need to educate ourselves about. And to really capture the full picture, when you're sitting one on one with a client who has been adopted or struggling through their adoption experience or their post adoption placement, it's really important to have that full picture as you're sitting in front of you. So you are able to then provide a framework and that larger perspective to, Oh, I understand what you're going through. Mm -hmm. And it's not just your experience and it's not just an isolated experience. And when we bring it to the mental health side of things, we understand that there's other factors, other forces, if you will, at play on what has influenced your mental health through your adoption experience. Yeah.
1: I'm looking forward to getting into that today. And I I've, I've really enjoyed, had a hard time with kind of this whole topic. And I'll tell you why our listeners a moment, you were talking about this as a therapist, you get to have this holding space that you provide for those that you see, and you have a unique perspective from, you know, you're me and I'm you and I I have some of my own experiences. And that allows not just for kind of the typical therapeutic holding experience, which in and of itself is is very helpful and corrective and important, but you have some of your own experiences that allow, I would imagine a greater insight into and awareness of, and likely an empathy as you're there holding some of the things that they may be sharing with you that they're struggling around.
2: Thank you for mentioning that because this is one of those kind of things that it's important to have that lived experience yeah, to connect around these adoption issues. So as you touched on in introducing me, my, my own lived experience, which I've put out there in a number of different ways for a, a good while now, being a, a survivor of childhood abuse, of suicide loss, All of that kind of centered around my post-adoption experience. Mm -hmm. And the suicide losses that I've experienced were with three of my siblings who were also adopted. Mm -hmm. And also for me, adding another layer to, they were also with disabilities. They were also Asian, you know, considered people of color. So Mm -hmm. there's these extra layers that i've personally experienced Mm -hmm. and i carry that pain still and i have you know come to realize i have been traumatized Mm -hmm. i have trauma i've experienced trauma i continued to re-experience it so
1: Moses, were you were you all, all i think you said you had three siblings so four of you correct
2: four overall in my family they were adopted
1: i see wow that's quite a number were any of of you adopted altogether, or were there separation?
2: Altogether, in terms of at the same time.
1: Yeah. No. So. In uh, other words, did you grow up together?
2: Well, the way that it happened, uh, I have three older sisters who were adopted before me. Okay. Uh, you know, so we were all born in the nineteen seventies. Mm-hmm. And my my youngest sister and and younger siblings in the 1990s. Okay. So that's spanning at least 20 years worth of of life. So when when you say, did we grow up together? Well, you grow up as best you can over the course of 20 20 years. Right. So for for me, I am seven of 14 children. Okay. So I did get to grow up. Say in a two-generation family, right? So I was the youngest of my older siblings, and I was the yeah. oldest of my younger siblings.
1: Yeah. yeah, I get it. I get it.
2: It's quite a story as a start. Where, where, where were you raised? May I ask? I was raised in New York and Connecticut. Okay. My childhood was kind of split between New York, spending my younger years in New York, and then finishing out high school and beyond in Connecticut.
1: Got it. I would imagine just inherent in the number of siblings, in the different placements, in the span of things in terms of, you know, are we raised together? Yeah, well, for the course of 20 years, I would imagine in all of those experiences, you have some real direct knowledge and experience when others are coming, as we said earlier, to share their stories with you. You're going to have some bits and pieces of maybe what they're going through as well, just in terms of that empathic attunement and awareness.
2: So let me put it this way: in in so many different ways, I introduce myself with all the different parts of my Id- identity. Yeah. And and the way I've I've been doing this in more recent years is, I'm adopted. I'm a person of color. I'm Asian. I'm a person with a d- disability. You could consider me a Korean American uh, immigrant mm. through adoption. So. It, again it, it's pulling together all these different contexts right. and all the different perspectives to realize okay what makes me me what yes. makes my, what makes up my identity right and through that with what you're sharing with what you're asking about what's my background you know how did i grow up where did i grow up all all of the the life experiences that add up through your childhood young adult life for me was filled with an unsafe home being very fearful alongside my siblings and growing up in i mean it's really the other side of the world from where i was born yeah so completely out of place completely yeah, you know out of touch with with my my origins and at that age of 2 you know toddler and, and onwards for me i i was thinking this is my life this is yeah. you know this is where my life started even though i had stories of the orphanage, the 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 awful conditions that I, I came out of, that was not part of my, my memory, you know, no. my, my living, working memory. So all I remember are the events that happened throughout my childhood. And sadly, like tragically, the significant experiences involved the deaths of the three of my siblings. My sister Tam died when I was finishing up my my time in college. I was a senior in college. It was year 2000. And for me, I excitedly was calling home saying, hey, I got into grad school. I got into UConn and was hit with the news that your sister's in the hospital. You need to come home. And I'm like, I'm about to go into midterms, you know, spring semester my senior year so. From there, you know it it, it was two thousand and eight that I got news of my my sister Lark in the hospital with an age-related lung infection and finding out that she had the DNR on her wristband, you know, making the choice should anything happen, don't revive me. Mm-hmm. i'm I'm you know, if I'm done, I'm done. Mm-hmm. So you know, some would say that's not technically a suicide. to me,. It, it, uh, affectively, uh, it, it's that choice. Yeah, I don't think I want to continue to live. And that kind of broadens the perspective that we have about suicide. And then, uh, you know, another eight years later, I, I get news that my brother Thaddeus had shot himself. I mean, that's that's a, a clear act of suicide. So carrying these memories and living through the pain and and the traumas just been uh, i i mean extremely difficult but professionally with what you're saying it it lends itself to the empathic holding space Mm -hmm. because i've had to do that for myself yeah
1: we'll be right
0: back after word from our sponsor Nearly nine in 10 registered voters believe the nation faces a mental health crisis, according to a new USA Today Suffolk University poll. Americans are more concerned than ever about their mental health. Mental health first aid provides the resources and training to identify, understand, and respond to signs of mental health and substance use challenges. It provides the confidence and skills needed to offer life-saving assistance, and it provides peace of mind. Our experts provide mental health first aid training for adults teens, caregivers, veterans, law enforcement, EMS, and school faculty. Mental health concerns are on the rise, but evidence-based training through Mental Health First Aid can make a difference. Visit mentalhealthfirstaid.org to find a course near you, or email hello at mentalhealthfirstaid.org to schedule a training. Courses are available for individuals, groups, organizations, and companies of all sizes. Visit mentalhealthfirstaid.org and make a difference in your community.
1: It's interesting in this work isn't it where we find that we are doing our work a lot of times not knowing that we may be professionally in a role where we're going to be doing that with somebody else uh at some point point. and i appreciate you you know you talked about introducing yourself and the things that you're sharing and all the dimensions that make up you for who you are in terms of maybe introducing myself in terms of full disclosure as well. You and I had talked earlier this week, I'm the parent of an adopted child. Our youngest daughter, Kylie, was adopted from Cambodia, and we adopted her when she was three months old. However, right when we were supposed to go meet her and bring her back home, they put a moratorium, the US government put a moratorium on the adoptions because of some very serious concerns of baby trading for money. This is the darker, darker side of the whole adoption process that you don't hear much of, or maybe you hear little remnants of, but nothing really deep. So they put a moratorium on it for eight months. And we got a call one day, eight months later, that you've got about five days to come and get her. And so we hustled on the plane and went to to be with her. And it was a time when for those that were kind of tracking maybe some of the the timing of this is when Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt had gone to Cambodia as well to to adopt their child. And they were the second to the last group. We were the last group that ever got a child out of Cambodia. They shut down all the adoptions right afterwards. It's profoundly sad. We had met some families when they were there that were living there because they had made a connection. They had made an attachment and they were stuck in Cambodia with their child going back and forth. It it, It was a very traumatic time for them. And we were able to bring our daughter back home and she's 20 now and she's in college and going into her senior year. And, and so there's some good things around that, but this is a very personal and very close to home topic that we're talking about today. and For both uh, of us then. For, yeah, for both and just in different ways, I kind of on a continuum maybe in some ways. And,
0: mm-hmm. you know, we're
1: talking about the idea of, of trauma and, you know, hearing that word, attached to the adoptive process isn't always easy to hear or understand you know we we want as i said at the beginning to naturally think of adoption as an inherently win-win experience where you know all that's needed is a, for the process to happen smoothly and successfully is a set of loving parents and a child in need of a family or a home but you're wanting us to raise our awareness that while these components are important there are inherent in the adoptive and the adaptive process. Traumatic events that occur that can have serious impact on the child and on their family if they're not understood and not addressed.
2: I always need to pause before jumping into, like, where where do we launch into this? Because I appreciate that you're you're sharing your story. And I do wanna just make a, a quick side note. I hope that you have your daughter's permission to share what you've oh, yeah. shared about that. So. Absolutely. So I hope that's okay. So I always need to pause jumping into talking about the trauma of adoption. And and I kind of want to lay it out for your listeners, knowing that we do come to adoption with our preconceived notions, our attitudes and values and perspectives. So I want to be respectful that there is a bit of a continuum or, or spectrum, if you will, of how we view adoption. So having said that, this is really a culmination of what I've learned and honing my own perspective so I can be the most present with my clients, with my friends and people that I meet in and around the adoption community. So the first thing is, if you will, the evolution of calling it adoption trauma. Mm -hmm. And in in so many ways, It's still being phrased as, well, adoption is trauma or adoption is a trauma or adoption is traumatizing. It's been an important thing for me to find those identifying terms, if you will, and to say there is such a thing as adoption trauma itself. So with that, I I have developed a adoption trauma fact sheet that I, I did my best to capture the multiple perspectives of what is known as adoption trauma so it's it's not just from the adopted person's perspective but from the adopting person's perspective the person who's adopting as well as the the women and the parents who relinquish or surrender Mm -hmm. or are separated from their child and then it's putting together the actual manifestations and causes and and you know How it presents, as well as the larger contexts that again impact where this is all coming from, why adoption trauma is occurring.
1: I think when you just say like that, the way that it presents and the context that we understand is pretty significant around this piece. Because I think when we think about trauma, you know, we think about, you know, violent or terrifying experience, or we think about a singular event that typifies, but you're talking about adoption trauma including a a completely different line of thought and how you kind of almost want to kind of change and clearly broaden, maybe that's a paradigm shift I was referring to earlier, wanting to shift of, we get to think about something a wee bit differently. Even when things go back to understand that the trauma can affect the brain, the body, the mind, it stays in the body. It's very real, isn't it?
2: Thank you for bringing it back around to this. So in this way, Calling it a a paradigm shift, for me, I'd say it's presenting information, presenting a perspective. You might find it challenging. You might find it uncomfortable. But this is the point for me, it is just inviting you, your listeners, to make space, Mm -hmm. to allow other ways of looking at an experience that we've just accepted, you Mm -hmm. know? For a very long time, we're we're talking multiple generations now of adopted people. So, in a way, want to invite all of us into broadening or just allowing space mm-hmm. or different perspectives, and and maybe think about it a little bit more closely, think about it a little bit more differently. Mm. Um, you know, it, you're so inclined. So, in this way, part of this shift is not pathologizing Mm. the adopted experience right right so it's been said it's out there many adopted people are engaged in therapy at some points in their life in multiple ways on different levels of of the mental health system of care so adopted people say we're overrepresented in therapy. We're overrepresented in mental health. We're overrepresented in having behavioral issues or mental health issues around our adoption, or actually, in many cases, that have nothing to do with our adoption, mm. you know, as it's presented. Right? So that's part of this shift, it is recognizing, well, I think we're at the point of. Understanding that trauma isn't necessarily pathology, but it's survival. It's survival yes. instincts. Mm-hmm. It's natural to the body when you feel threatened and unsafe that the brain and the body organize itself to protect itself. That's right. It's self-preservation. It's it A healthy response.
1: Yeah, it's adaptive, isn't it?
2: Right. So that's part of this, and part of the need for safe spaces Mm -hmm. safe environments safe homes you know safe schools right everything is moving towards becoming Mm trauma-informed and saying we get what you've been through we get what you've experienced we get these events that have occurred for you in your life Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and we're going to then organize ourselves around that to affirm and validate what you've experienced
1: yeah i really like that you know we have some dsm-5 explanations around trauma and i know that you've cited the work of bessel van der Kolk who's you know written multiple things around trauma and trying to expand that definition one of the things that the trauma stress institute says is trauma is, is experience of multiple chronic and prolonged developmentally adverse traumatic events most often of an interpersonal nature and early life onset. And I wanted to cite something I want to come back to later is, I think there's hope in this explanation in the way that it's mentioned, because it's talking about the interpersonal nature of this. It can be, you know, the child's, like you're saying, the child's caregiving situation, physical, emotional, educational, neglect of the child, maltreatment in early childhood, of just a plethora of things. But this idea that if we can expand that definition, I, I like to in my working with trauma, use the definition of anything that's outside the realm of normal experience or expected normal experience. In other words, if you're going to have someone raised in a home, you want to have these components for a healthy home. You want to have, if someone's, you know, going through school, you want to have a healthy school environment, a learning environment, and those things that are not part of that, that create, like you said, some of these traumas. That fits this idea that it's outside the realm of normal experience, that what we want to be having for almost our inherent or designed parts of our lives where normal development should be safe, secure, predictable, but while adoption trauma is not yet kind of what we might see even a legitimate diagnosis, this is something that you're wanting to raise awareness around, that there is a trauma in in fact involved in the adoption process, even like you said, even in utero when a child is going through just their development, there's trauma through the auditory process that can be an inherent part of the child's development.
2: So let's break this down a a little bit more. Let's kind of expand on what you're saying is, we have come from a place of identifying and recognizing PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And now in more recent years, we are understanding more complex trauma, complex PTSD, developmental trauma. And this is an advancement. This is understanding that, okay, there is an impact with chronic stress, with anxiety, Mm -hmm. with the ways that trauma manifests in the body. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate you bringing up Bessel van der Kolk. And I think it's a combination of so many of these trauma perspectives, with Stephen Porges and the polyvagal theory, and the use of somatic experiencing, and mm-hmm. and Peter Levine with his perspective, yeah. as well as Gabor Mate, you know, who's come out with the wisdom of trauma. So, in a way, it's putting it all together. Understand, yes, trauma sits within the body; it is pretty much everlasting throughout your life and a movement towards understanding as it is a neurophysiological experience. Yes. So with that, your last point about there's attachment trauma, right? Yes. And so let's combine PTSD and RAD. And RAD has been one of these mainstay diagnoses for adopted people.
1: Right. Reactive attachment disorder.
2: Reactive attachment disorder, exactly. So, okay, there is a level of attachment. There is the context of the family. And in so many ways, there's a breakdown in the relationships Mm -hmm. within the adoptive homes. Okay, so attachment trauma, for me, this is part of a feature, if you will, or or cause, bringing it back to the larger context of there is an experience of disenfranchised grief. Mm-hmm. And, and this is really like across the board between the pregnant person giving birth to the child, to the person who's adopted. And disenfranchised grief, as I understand it, really has two components where the loss itself is not recognized. It's not acknowledged. But then there's another layer where societally, it's not recognized, It's it's been erased.
1: So not just within the person themselves, but just societally and those around them. It's not yes, recognized. not given attention, yeah.
2: And there's some infringement on the right to be able to grieve that loss. So this is part of the adoption experience now. This mm-hmm. is part of the adoption trauma, if you will, mm-hmm. that you're not able to grieve because your loss is not being recognized and like you said you know whether you're aware that you need to grieve or that you are grieving or the body is grieving or the people around you are saying but but you've been adopted and you're being given everything that you've ever needed and wanted and you know so it's
1: that really puts the scary. adoptee in, in in a really challenging place doesn't it when you put it that way it's i would imagine the adoptive child doesn't you know want to they have this grief or this struggle they don't want to upset their adoptive parent or seem ungrateful with concerns about their depression or anything that could be seen as ingratitude or even just normally normal curiosity about their roots. So this has to stay kind of just tucked away in inside, doesn't it?
2: It does. But to go back to your point that this happens in utero,
0: mm-hmm. you
2: know, that we, we now have the science. I mean, we now have, we've had the science saying that attachment happens in utero. Yeah that the bond between mother and child happens before birth. And, and this is part of the confusion, part of the blurriness of, well, adoption happens at birth or at the time of adoption, when the child is adopted. And we go from that point forward in talking about the post-adoption experience. So in that way, all that happens before is not acknowledged is part of that. So by dismissing that or ignoring that, or, or not acknowledging that we then say, but attachment can occur. Bonding can occur post adoption, right? Post birth. Mm-hmm. And we spend so much time and research and, and studies and books and everything talking about and addressing, here's how you can attach to a child that Mm -hmm. you did not give birth to that, you know, that you adopted. So um,
1: I'd like just to flag that and come back to that a little bit later in our time together, what to do if you're not the birth mother and that attachment doesn't happen in utero and continue through, you know, the birth and the development. I'd like to come back to that piece. What if you're the parent coming in and how do you focus on that piece? But the importance is what you're saying here is that this attachment that we don't often even think could be going on, but now we have the research to prove it that can lead to a rejection or an abandonment felt by the newborn adoptee right out of the get go and you even said something in our earlier conversation this week when you and i were talking about the show Mm -hmm. that there's a piece to this that the mother is also experiencing deep within her own cells of her body as well
2: yes absolutely in that conversation I, I, i remember quoting something i had read recently where there's a mixture of biochemistry between the mother and her child during pregnancy and she carries for the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. And there have been too many cases where they give birth and they proceed with their adoption placement, their adoption plan. And somewhere along the line are told to just forget what's happened forget that. They had a child, forget, forget, forget. And so we're dealing, so. I, I, I want to just take a moment and acknowledge we're dealing with hugely complex human emotions, right. human, human experiences, the human condition. And it's, it's really tough to have like, can we just talk about this aspect? Can we just talk about that aspect? And it can get messy. It can get unruly at times for, you know, for people to get all of this together. You know, and and again, you know, kind of hold it together in their minds, you know, as we kind of like unfold this conversation.
1: Right. I think when you put it that way too, you, you said earlier, if, if nothing else, I hear you so earnestly encouraging us to create a space just to listen and work to understand all the dimensions of this, not to have to do anything about it or explain it away or defend against it or just to be open to hold it. And that's not always easy to hold some of these things. There's some pretty powerful things in here, but your encouragement is if we can just hold them together and understand maybe how they all interplay, there's a greater appreciation for recognizing that the trauma that goes on is far greater than we might even fully appreciate at the mind level, at the body level, at the physiological level, like you're saying, the neural level that, you know, in and of themselves, you know, the the newborn's going to be incapable of processing by themselves. And with this awareness, we get to come in with some understanding and maybe able to be a a, a presence and a space for them to work through some of this.
2: I appreciate that you're making that a solid point, you know, as we go into this. And I want to make note, this is not just about a child or an infant's experience. That's right and and i'm i'm coming to you as an adult that's right an adult who who was adopted you know back in the day and i'm of a population now at least in the u.s that that i know of of roughly seven million of us who are considered adopted or you know call themselves adopted so to your point this number is growing yeah and then we have to add the other dimensions, if you will, you know, really see adoption as a continuum, as you said, where we have understood adoption to be of a certain experience, whether it's domestic or foster care to adopt or, or international adoption. But it really is time that we understand there's other dimensions to being adopted at this point. And we're seeing more about surrogacy we're hearing more from the donor-conceived community. We're hearing more from cases of misattributed parentage, as well as a non-parental event. So it's important to gather all of these experiences and understand that, okay, you know, adoption as it was, say, during the baby scoop era, is very different from adoption in 2022. And we need to be more inclusive, and we need to really capture these experiences that that so many people have been living with, and many in isolation, and many in silence, and just bring it back to the therapeutic office. And uh, what I appreciate about spending time on, like, gathering my my background it, is, you never know where a person's been, and you don't know what the experiences have been until you give space to open up and uh, you know start putting these pieces together but part of this graham is the lived experience is hidden from the person as well you know so for me i didn't really come into this right i as i said halfway through my career as an adult and and this tends to be the way things go and part of the adoption research kind of follows this Well when do adopted people start asking about their roots, right? Where they came from. And some of that research says during their teen years, when they're, you know, naturally in that state of, right. you know, trying to figure things out for themselves, right. you know, who they are. And and then, you know, when do they go back to their birth countries? When do they go uh, go on the search? Mm. It's later on in life, 20s and 30s and, you know, and beyond.
1: I want to I talk a little bit about that piece of this. And I, I want to... Hold up first though the point you just made that as you're raising awareness for us, let's say, that are not adopted to hold this space for understanding all the dimensions and complexities that you're helping us appreciate, you're also saying that the adopted person themselves may not know what they don't know about these dimensions and elements and that they're carrying with them that are likely being manifest in some ways in their lives that through maybe a therapeutic process or some things that you're doing and other things that are available out there can kind of make the unconscious conscious so they can be aware of what's going on. Hello folks, pardon the interruption, but we will continue this discussion on our next show. I want to thank my guest Moses Farrow for coming onto the show today. For more information about Moses and adoption education, please visit mosesfarrow.com. Dot com. Follow Adoption Trauma on their various social channels. On Twitter at Moses Pharaoh, and hashtag TruthIsLouder for adoption trauma awareness. On Facebook at facebook.com slash On Instagram at Moses A. And finally, you can email Moses directly at moses at moses And last, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in today. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time on Behavioral Health Today.